Let's go to the book of Genesis this morning. Genesis chapter 4. We'll keep it simple. Nothing complex today. Genesis chapter 4, and uh, we'll read verses 1 through 7, familiar passage. Just kind of dive into some teaching, preaching this morning, try to encourage you a little bit. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And again, bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we come before you this morning, we're very uh, grateful to be here today. We thank you for uh, Bible Believers Baptist Church, Lord, and for the work that they do in this area. We pray, Father, that you would be with Pastor Evans, Miss Curran, uh, while they're out of town, that you might bless them, Lord. Uh, uh, fill them up, Father. Help them to just uh, be refreshed in this time away that they're, they're gone. Uh, we just pray for the church, Lord, that you continue to minister to those folks, Lord, that are here. Uh, Lord, that you might meet their spiritual needs and their physical needs. Uh, pray this morning that you might uh, open uh, uh, the word to us today, that the Holy Ghost might be able to work in our hearts and our minds. Lord, give us understanding uh, through this King James Bible as you only can. Uh, ask, Lord, that you might take me and set me aside, hide me behind the cross. Uh, Lord, don't let uh, anything come out of my mouth that might be a hindrance to this work or to this ministry. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So here in Genesis chapter 4, it's a, it's a familiar passage because, again, uh, we've uh, looked at this over and over in regard to Cain and Abel and all the things that took place. Uh, but I want to get a little bit deeper and uh, just kind of get into a little bit about sin today because when you get into Genesis chapter 3, you have, of course, the fall of man. You see what happens as a result of not listening to God and Adam and Eve both sin, and we know where things have gone since then. Uh, as you get to chapter 4, now you have the progression of sin uh, where it has not just affected Adam and Eve. Now it's gone on. It's affecting their children. And again, that's just what sin is. We know that Adam Adam uh, has uh, brought sin into this world, and because of that, it's been passed on. Every generation since uh, has that uh, mark of sin on them, and we're not going to get away from it. It's one of those things that we're going to fight and uh, have to try to overcome every day. Uh, the day you think you've got it uh, whooped will be the day that you're going to fall because then pride enters in, and it's just a continual cycle. Uh, but what we learn from the passage is God doesn't want us to be overcome of sin. Uh, if you look at the passage as we just read it, what you see is that when sin is presenting itself, the Lord is showing us that we're to look for these opportunities so that we can get victory over that sin. Now, a simple definition for sin is that sin is a voluntary departure from a known rule or duty prescribed by God. So when you think about sin, what we need to consider is this is something that God has shown us and what we are is we're departing from it. And uh, we're deciding by our own choice 
to do something that God doesn't want us to do. Now, we understand that there's ignorance and, and someone can sin ignorantly, uh, but we're talking in regard to a sin that we know what we ought to do and we choose not to do it. And uh, whether it is in obedience or disobedience or whatever it is, it's that point that sin is something that's known. And when people talk about not knowing what sin is, um, yeah, you know, you kind of wonder how, what 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 are they lying about? Because again, God reveals things to us. He put His Word in our in our heart. Literally, there is the Spirit of God that ministers to us when we're saved. But even before we're saved, He says over in Romans that the law is is in our heart. There is some uh, some uh, uh, spiritual matters that are there within us. And the longer you go against the word, of course, and you go against your conscience, you know that you get a seared conscience and you get a hard heart. Uh, but the fact is, is sin is something that's known. Now, what was happened today in society is people have moved away from sin and now they want to just call it lifestyles or they want to call it choices rather than just acknowledging that it's sin. Uh, people just need to admit sin is sin. Uh, I like my sin and I struggle with quitting it. You can come up with every excuse in the, in the book you want, but sin is sin, and sin uh, has never made anyone better. Uh, the old saying was, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to uh, stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. That's just how sin is. Sin never leaves anyone better than where he finds it. And anything, anybody that understands sin, you know that sin is one of those things that just continues to progress, and the more you give into it, the more it festers, and the more it gets bigger, it's like a cancer. And the only way to get rid of that sin is to have it cut out. That's why over in 1 John, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But again, you have to remove it. Uh, you can confess it all you want, but if you don't begin to remove that sin, it's not going to help us out any. Uh, Thomas Watson said this, sin has the devil for his father, shame for his companion, and death for his wages. And is that not the truth? Uh, you can't get away from the price of sin, no matter how, how hard you try, and it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, and it doesn't matter how old you are, sin is one of those things that just continues on and on. I remember years ago when I was first doing the nursing home ministry, and I was in the nursing home doing what we were doing. I don't know if we were preaching or if I was visit, visiting someone that day. That doesn't really matter. But I noticed this little old man sitting there at a table, and he was just you know typical of what you'd see in a nursing home, very, very quiet. He's kind of in a wheelchair, just kind of slumped over. I don't know if he was sleeping or what it was. And this man, just old. I mean, I'm talking, again, I was, I was in my 20s. So now when I'm looking at that man, he was in his 80s. And now 80s isn't so old. I'm going to guess he's in his 80s. 80s isn't that bad now. Uh, but I'm watching this guy and, and just, the, you know, just I'm a people watcher. And somehow, there was, for some reason, the Lord says, just watch that guy. So I'm watching him. And all of a sudden, one of the, the workers there, one of the ladies walked by, and that man that looked like he was on the brink of death moved with lightning speed and reached out to grab that girl. And the Lord said, you see that? I said, yeah, I saw that. And what he showed me was this, is it doesn't matter how old you are, that sin nature is still there. And if you fight sin when you're young and you don't deal with it, you'll deal with that same sin when you get older. Uh, the idea that sin gets easier to fight as you get older is not true. Uh, we just get better at it. 
uh, we perfect it. We, we aren't maybe able to do all the things that we used to do, but that doesn't mean that sin still doesn't lie in our heart. And what we need to look at this passage is we need to begin to change our attitude and change our mind of how we're going to look at sin and how we can overcome it. Really, that's the key. We're going to deal with sin every day until you die. Uh, things are not going to change. We need the Word of God. We need to hide the Word in our heart. But the fact is, is that we need to learn to overcome sin. And there's some things we're going to get from the passage that we just need to get a hold of so we can just kind of put things in a biblical perspective. It's easy for us to say, quit it. But it's not as easy to quit once you start. Uh, the, old, the old saying I used to tell my kids or uh, tell any of the young people in churches, don't try it, you might like it. If you don't try it, you don't know if you like it. And that's the thing about sin. Uh, some folks can do a sin and never do it again, and it will have no effect on them. And then someone else can do it, and it just gets a hold of them. And the fact is, is that you don't know how sin's going to affect you. So here the Lord is giving uh, Cain uh, some understanding. He's trying to instruct him in what's going on. Now, this sin that's about to be committed, uh, again, it's starting with a sacrifice. It's starting with, will I do what God wants or will I do what I want? Cain does what he wants. His intentions if we were to look at it in a religious sense, were noble. He brought the best of his labor. Now, if you look at that on paper, you'd say, what's wrong with that? Well, it's not what God wanted. A lot of folks think that if I just give God the best, then God's going to accept my best. But if that's not what God wants, it doesn't matter how good it is. And that becomes sin because we're not giving the Lord what he wants. Now, the first thing I want to show you how to overcome sin is this. We need to adjust our understanding of what is good to God's understanding of goodness. In society today, people have an understanding of what is good. But that does not mean it lines up with God's revelation of what is good. What man thinks is good does not necessarily mean that's what God thinks is good. Notice, notice in verse 5, uh, he says, But unto Cain and to his offering he was not uh, had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall not be accepted. Notice what the Lord says. If you do what I want you to do, it's going to be accepted. If you don't, I'm not going to accept it. Ultimately, that's what sin is. Sin is not just the proverbial drinking and drugs and uh, adultery or gambling or all the things that we like to think about. It's simply not doing what God says to do. There's so many things within the Scripture, and when we start thinking about sin, and Paul gives lists of sin, but you understand there are a lot of sins that are not listed in the Scripture. And just because it's not listed doesn't mean that it's not a sin. Uh, there, matter of fact, there are things in the scripture that uh, you know we just that we deal with today, or that things that we deal with today that aren't specifically in the scripture. You won't find those words in there that says "Thou shalt not smoke marijuana." <laughs> right? I mean, you're just not going to find that. Now we can find verses about not defiling our bodies and about abstaining from all appearance of evil. We can go through all of that stuff, but the fact is, there are some things that you can look in there and say, "Okay." It's not there, so then it must be okay. Well, 
the Bible defines sin, and we'll look at some definitions here in a minute, but sin is overcome when we yield to obeying God, simple as that, rather than our own desires and interests. The problem with sin is we do what we want. It doesn't matter what it is. Anytime we do what we want over what God wants, that's sin. There's a lot of sins that we commit as Bible-believing Baptists that are not outward in the sense of moral, uh, immoral things, but they are things that are against God. God is not pleased with it, and we choose to continue to do it. Our churches are full of things that people do that no one wants to just admit, you know what, I'm a sinner. And that's why nobody has grace, because they think they're not doing the smoking and the drinking and the gambling and the fornicating and all those things. They think that they are okay because they're not doing these moral sins, and they forget, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, now, yes, there are moral sins. Uh, there are sins that are more immoral than others. We understand that. But when you start looking at sin and, and, and start saying, well, this is more immoral than this one, and this one is more illegal than that one, then you know what you've become? You've become a Catholic, and now you've got venial sins and mortal sins, and now, you know, this sin is not as bad. as All sin is sin. It's like saying a little white lie isn't as bad as a big lie. Well, a lie is a lie. Uh, a little lie might have less repercussions, but if you're willing to do a little lie, won't you do a big lie? I mean, the fact is it all leads on, and we need to understand if we're going to overcome sin, we need to un adjust our understanding. We need to bring our understanding in line with this and realize that we need to do what God wants us to do. We need to see sin as God sees it, not as a preacher sees it. Not as a church sees it, not as a mom or dad sees it. We need to see it as the Bible sees it. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Go ahead and put a marker there. We'll be back. 1 John chapter 3. Now, the Lord gives us a five-fold definition of what sin is. He covers all the bases. He covers every base there is when it comes to sin. Uh, you could say, well, it's not listed. We're going to cover it. If it's not listed, it's going to fall under one of these scriptures that explains what sin is. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. You're, you're familiar with these. This isn't anything you've not seen. Preacher has shown you all this, but it's just to remind us what sin is. We need to see sin as God sees it. 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin, uh, committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So you can start out with Sin is the transgression of the law. There are things within the scripture that the Lord says to do or not to do. When you do those things that he says not to do, you have transgressed the law. It's broader than just the Ten Commandments. It's broader than just the whole Old Testament law. We understand that there are commands that the Lord gives that he says this is what you are to do or what you're not to do. And when you sin or when you transgress those laws, now you have sinned. It's the transgression of the law. And that, is, and that even goes as far as what we look at even as society. Uh, there are, uh, we live in a society that has laws, and as Bible believers, we're to obey those laws. If you transgress those laws, you have sinned. Now, you can make excuses for them, but the fact is there are laws that we need to follow, and if you transgress it, you have done wrong. And some laws can bring greater repercussions than others when you break them, but sin is sin. 
you can't make excuses for it. You need to begin to look at things as, okay, here's the Bible. Here's God's word. God says this is wrong. Now we know it's sin when we do it. Number two, look at 1 John 5, verse 17. So now it goes a little deeper. <clears throat> Again, notice that none of these things I'm going to show you are specific sins. They're not just pointing out a sin like Paul runs lists of them. He's not, we're not going to point them out. We're now going to put them in categories. So anything that's against the law, if you do not obey the law, it's sin. Now notice the next one, 1 John chapter 5, verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. What is unrighteousness? Anything that's not righteous. If it's not righteous, it's a sin. Now you can see how complicated the Christian life becomes when you think about how many things that we can get involved in that are just unrighteous. It's just not right. Simple as that. It's not right. So what does the Lord say? It's a sin. So you need to confess it. You need to deal with that. You need to say, okay, Lord, I ought not to do this thing because it is unrighteous. It is against you. When we think about righteousness, we think about God. We think about purity. We think about holiness. We think about things that are right. So when we start thinking about sin, those things that are against God... No matter what it is, we need to say, okay, this is a sin. I need to stop that. All unrighteousness. Look at Romans 14. <clears throat> now, here's where every Baptist is going to get kicked right in the teeth. Because we like to think of those sins of unrighteousness, and we like to consider the fact of the law and how we like to obey the law. But watch what he says in Romans 14, because it's even deeper than that. Romans chapter 14, verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, sin just got even broader. That means whatever you're about to do, if you can't do it by faith, trusting the Lord, you ought not to do it. That means it's a sin. So how many times have we went and purchased something, we didn't pray about it, we didn't consider if it was of the Lord, and then we got in trouble later. Well, there you go. You did something that wasn't of faith. Uh, how about this? How about you go to give to the Lord's work, and you don't give by faith? You just give because it's the right thing to do. Well, that's a blessing. But if you are about to give something to the Lord, and you're hesitant about how the Lord's going to provide that need later, then wouldn't that be sin? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, the Lord's not saying being foolish in things, but there are things where you have to take steps of faith. This church, to continue to go forward to do things for the Lord, it revolves around faith. It doesn't revolve around sight. The things that you do as a local church is, I'm going to trust the Lord that these are the right things I'm doing. If you don't trust the Lord in that, then you are sitting. You are allowing then doubt to get in. Once doubt gets in, have you ever noticed that doubt festers? And if you have one person that begins to doubt a work of the Lord, then other people will begin to doubt. And then all of a sudden now nobody wants to do what's right because they doubt it's the right thing. Uh, you go street preaching, you go pass out tracts. It takes faith to go out and do that. And the fact is you don't always see the results of it. So we do that by faith and you say, well, I just can't do it because I don't see the results. Well, now you don't have faith and 
you're sinning against what the Lord wants you to do. It's very complex. Sin is a very complex thing. It's not as cut and dry as we like to say. It's not like thou shalt not steal. Even though we know that's the case, there are so many dynamics to sin where the Lord is always showing us we need to continue to grow, continue to grow. You need to put this thing down. You need to get this thing right. You need to start walking by faith a little bit more. Walking by faith is not an easy thing. Uh, back over in, in Genesis, we learn about Enoch, and Enoch walks by faith. He walks by faith in a wicked and terrible generation. It's the generation prior to Noah. Imagine walking by faith. You think that's any different today? We're in the days of Noah. To live for the Lord today, you have to walk by faith. Uh, you think about all the COVID thing that went on years ago and how chaotic that was and how many people literally just shut down their whole lives because they were afraid of a virus. And again, they didn't go to church. They didn't do all kinds of things. Well, you know what? The fact of the matter is you got to have faith. You got to, there comes a point in time where you say, Lord, I just need to trust you to do what I'm doing. And if I'm going to get victory over this worry, because isn't worry a sin? Then I've got to learn to trust you. How many times do Christians worry about things? They worry about their finances. They worry about their health. They worry about their children. All of that is wicked. It's a sin. You say, but I, I need to be concerned. I didn't say you didn't need to be concerned. It's a sin to worry. You've got to trust the Lord. No matter what you do, and, and I've raised children, and I've had to give them to the Lord, and there comes a point in time where I just have to say, Lord, I give them to you, and what happens from here, I cannot sit and worry about it because I can't put a fence around them and barbed wire to keep them from, or people from getting to them. So I have to trust the Lord. There has to be some faith there. So again, if we don't have that faith, sin is there. Uh, Proverbs 24, verse 9. <clears throat> Proverbs 24, 9. I'm going to keep this one simple. Uh, in the Old Testament, foolishness is a lot deeper than the foolishness of today. Uh, he talks about foolishness being bound in the heart of a child, and, you know, you beat that out of the child because children tend to be foolish. It's amazing what children will do. Foolish things that kids... I think about the foolish things I did as a child. Uh, foolish things we do as adults, things that we shouldn't do. Look what he says in Proverbs 24.9. <clears throat> Proverbs... I'm sorry, I'm in Psalms. Wrong one. They all look the same, you know. Uh, Proverbs 24, but they don't read the same. Proverbs 24, 9, the thought of foolishness is sin. The thought. How many times have you had foolish thoughts? It's not always just the action. Have you ever, have you ever considered that foolish thoughts learn, lead to the action? Uh, we talk about things, and there's things that we should probably never talk about, but we talk about them. And you know what? That stuff can cause you problem by even talking about it. Uh, even, uh, I'll give an illustration, we've had all kinds of issues that we've had, at, believe it or not, at my store, we've had numerous issues of fire. We've had numerous fires at my store. We had a smoker catch fire the first year we were open. The guys ran a torpedo heater under my, uh, where my pipes froze up and they burnt a two by four. Fortunately, we caught it before it burnt the store down. Uh, the, the electricians were drilling to put in a new freezer and caught the wall on fire and shut me down. So we've had some fire issues. And we've joked and said, this place ever catches on fire, just shut the doors and go to lunch and, and just walk away. 
that's a foolish statement. Because, as you know, what happened? Well, my business burnt down. So one of the things the police asked me was, did you ever say you wanted to burn your business down? Well, no, I never said that. But foolish talk, just because who doesn't talk foolishly? See, then becomes a problem. Now, that's just me, and again, I'm just giving you an illustration of my own life. So the thought of foolishness, you start thinking about foolish things that you shouldn't think about. To you, it may be nothing, but then all of a sudden now, here's a repercussion that comes from it. And thank God that, you know, again, I never said certain things, but the fact is people take innuendos and they take the things that you say, and it becomes a problem. And the thought of foolishness is, is a sin. Uh, any action, and again, you talk about children or you talk about adults that make foolish decisions, it's sin. Things that you shouldn't be doing. Things that you did not use wisdom. Think about that. How many decisions have we made that were foolish? You know, how many times? I've heard stories about people that have taken their money and they thought that they could, I, matter of fact, I knew a, a friend of mine, I worked with him for years, when the casino opened up down in Mount Pleasant, he thought that he could take his rent money or his house payment money and go down there and make enough money. He lost his house because he thought he could gamble and make enough money. That's foolishness. That's just a foolish thought, and it comes and brings about more problems. So there's, there's another thing. You say, well, how do you overcome that? you got to cast it down. You've got to control your thoughts. It's the thought of foolishness. The thought of foolishness will lead into actions. Uh, the last one is, is found in James. And James uh, gives us another definition of, 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 of sin. <clears throat> and one thing that we often forget is sin is not just an action. It's not just a sin of commission, something we've done. But sin can be a act of omission, meaning we didn't do something that we were supposed to do. Uh, James 4, verse 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, there we go. I mean, how do you get away from sin when you look at that definition? That means the things you know you're supposed to do, if you don't do it, you've sinned. We know we're supposed to pray for people. You, you tell How many times have you done this? You tell someone, I'll pray for you, and then you don't do it. That's a sin. You Bible says to, that we're to read the Scripture, to meditate on it. We know that. We don't do it. It's a sin. When we are moved by the Holy Ghost to witness to someone, and we don't do it, it's a sin. Anything that we know to do good, whether it's helping a brother out, whether it is, uh, you know, being uh, um, just a friend to someone that we should be. It doesn't matter. The things that you know to do good and you don't do it, to him it is sin. Notice it says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. So it could be selective. See, it doesn't have to be it's everybody because it could be just Joanna. The Lord's telling Joanna to do something, and she decides not to do it. It's not... So, so the Lord tells Joanna, Joanna, you should make Pastor Tim cookies. She just decides not to do it. It's not a sin to Julia. It'd be a sin to Joanna. Right? Because 
not all sin, I know it sounds foolish, it's just a simple illustration, not all sin is directed toward everybody. Because there are some things, and you get into Romans, and we're not going to get into it, there are some things that the Lord says we have liberty to do, but some people don't have that liberty. So that's why it's selective. So you need to understand that. And if you're going to, if you're going to overcome sin, the surest way to do it is just do right. That's the best way. You need to understand God's definition of sin. Now back over to uh, Genesis again. The second thing about uh, overcoming sin is this. You need to fight the desire to insist on setting on your own standards for what is acceptable. In other words, we like to make our own standards of what is acceptable. Bible believers are wonderful for that. We are wonderful to set a standard that we say is sin. Uh, when I was a child, I grew up for a while downstate, a place called River Rouge, and there was a street that ran through River Rouge called Jefferson. It's a big street. It's, I think it was probably back then maybe a five-lane-like highway. And I was told I could not cross Jefferson. Now, on the other side of Jefferson was a Dairy Queen. Well, you know, this is back in the 70s. This is when I'm, I mean, I can't even imagine now, but imagine being 10 years old and walking across a four-lane highway to go to get ice cream. Today, we're paranoid to let our kids go to the mail. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, you were gone all day in the city and you were out from the, you know, till the lights came on at night and, you, and your parents didn't even know where you were at. You were just all over the place. But we were, I was told you are not to cross Jefferson. Well, being the little sinner that I was, I crossed Jefferson on occasion. Now, is it a sin to cross Jefferson? No, it's not a sin to cross Jefferson because that's not a big deal. But I was told not to do it. Now, a lot of times what we'll do is in our churches, we will insist on setting a standard or in our family and say, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable. And some things that we'll say is acceptable is just sin. Or some things that we'll say are not acceptable are not necessarily sin, but it is a sin if you're a child and you do it and your parents say not to do it. Again, everybody has different things, but we need to understand sin is understanding what God calls sin. So when it comes to that point of, okay, one parent has rules, another parent has different rules, that child needs to obey their parents because regardless of what Jimmy's parents let him do or Tommy's parents let him do, neither one of the things that they're told not to do may be a sin. It becomes a sin when they disobey the Scripture. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So again, that brings sin now to the next level of things. The idea is, is that sin is broader than what we think. It's not as simple and concise as we like to think it is. So we need to understand that we need to get with what God's standard is of what is acceptable. Now, in verse 7, <clears throat> he says, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. The idea is, if you do what God wants, he is going to accept what you offer him. If you do what's right, we are accepted. Now, I know in, 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 uh, in our, our position in Christ, our standing in Christ, is that I am accepted in the beloved. But when I go against what God wants me to do, 
Now, he's not accepting my actions. I can be a child of God and still not be accepted in the sense of the sin that I'm doing. So we need to identify that. And we, it's not our job to decide what is sin. God's already settled what it is. See, the world tries to say, well, this isn't a sin anymore, or this isn't a sin. Sin is sin. And we live in 2024, and if sin has gotten, I mean, it's complicated now. Uh, things are not as easy. Things are not as cut and dry as what it used to be. Uh, even the whole adage of abstain from all appearance of evil, how? Uh, in some cases, there is no way to abstain from it. There used to be that there were things that were pretty cut and dry, but again, the Lord understands those things, but that doesn't, that doesn't negate the fact that sin is still sin. It's still wrong. And we're not here to justify it. We're just here to say, yeah, this is wrong, and it's not the situation I like to be in, but the fact of the matter is, this is wrong. And we just need to understand that we need to accept it. So when you contemplate sin, here's what you need to realize. You are allowing sin to desire you. So when you begin to think about a sin, whatever sin it is, you are allowing sin then to desire you because sin wants all of us. Sin always wants to find a way in. Notice what he says about sin. He says, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. It, sin reminds me of a cat. If you've ever had cats and they're outdoor cats, outdoor cats always want to be indoor cats. They always want to try to get in the house. And if you're not careful, as soon as you open that door, that little rascal cat will find a way in. And once you let the cat in once, it'll come in all the time. It lies at the door. Uh, it doesn't matter. Mice, whatever it is, critters, rodents, they're all looking for ways to get in, aren't they? And if you don't seal up all those little holes and, and stop all those little things, what happens? They get in. And now you have issues. Sin is the same way. Sin desires to have you. It wants to control you. Sin always wants to control you. There is not a sin that we don't get involved in that does not seek to control us in some way or another. It controls our mind. It can control our appetite. It can control your desires. It can control your family. It can control your finances. We can go through all of it, family, friends, finances. You can go through all of those things and understand that's what sin does. Sin controls us. The reason why today so many people are in such a position that they can't work, you know, they don't come to church on Sundays is because they have to work so much during the week to pay for all of the things they want to do or the things they want that they are busy all the time. It controls you. There are certain things, if you're not careful, if you buy it, it'll control you. Having a church on the river, for years I'd invite people to church, say, oh, preacher, I can't come to church. I just spent, back then it was 20000 on a boat. Well, I went to Spicer's not long ago and looked at a pontoon. It was $50,000 for a pontoon. They're just looking, you know, $50,000. I don't know. I mean, that's more than the, I paid for my first house. So you imagine what the payment is on a boat like that. Do you think you're going to have time to go to church on Sunday when you got a boat sitting out there? Now, there's nothing wrong with having that boat. But you think about all the hours and the overtime and the money you're spending, and now you say, well, I can't, I can't go door knocking today because it's a nice day. I want to go out on that boat. There's nothing wrong with the boat. But it can control you. Now that it controls you, there's a problem with the boat. 
Some people can have a boat, never controls them. They use it right, do it right. You know what I'm saying. It doesn't matter what it is. It's like money. The root of all, the root of all evil is the love of money is the root of all evil. Is money a problem? Not for everybody, but for some people it is. The fact is, is that it controls you. You need to be careful. Not only will it control you, then it will conquer you. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't start to control your telling you when to get up or when to taste this or when to do that or when to drink this. Then it begins to conquer you because that's what sin does. Sin starts with control, and it gives you just enough liberty to let you think that I can get over it. But then once it's deceived you into thinking that you can get over it, then it begins to conquer you. So now we're defeated. That's why you see a lot of people that have let sin get into their family and get into their life and get into their homes. What it does is it conquers your will. And you get to the point where you say, I can't fight this anymore. Now you're conquered. You overcome sin by understanding what God says sin is. And sin is going to be those things that are coming in, looking to control you, looking to conquer you. And then once it's conquered you, here's what sin does. And, and all of us understand this. Sin then condemns us. It keeps you in a place where you can't get victory. Now, we can get victory in Christ Jesus. We understand that. But sin will deceive you into thinking you can't quit. I've talked to many people over the years that tell me, I can't quit. Well, that's not true. You can but sometimes the things you have to go through to quit are very painful. Uh, I've had many a family member that's dabbled in drugs and monkeyed with the drugs, and they tell me they can't quit. Well, they can't quit because it hurts to quit. It hurts mentally. It hurts physically. It hurts right down to the bone. They get so tied up in it, they can't, it has conquered them, and it has condemned them, and it's convinced them they can't quit so they might as well keep doing it. That's why people can't overcome sin, because they've allowed themselves to get to the place where sin has condemned them. And yeah, there's going to be some things that in order to overcome it, it's going to take some pain, and it's going to take some suffering, and it's going to take some amputation, so to speak. But sin has to be looked at properly. Otherwise, you'll get to the place where, and, it, and, and here's the thing, sin is conquering 15, 16, 17-year-olds. We're not talking about people 50, my age, 60 years old. We're talking sin that has conquered kids that are already in such a position that they can't get victory over it. You need to understand that when you contemplate sin, you are giving sin a place to desire you. And the only way you're going to overcome it is don't contemplate it. That's why he says over in 2 Corinthians to cast down those strongholds. You need to, to yield your mind to get rid of those things. When you yield to sin, you begin to serve its desires rather than serving the Lord. Sin, sin will make you run for it. Like, I mean, it, it, you know, and, and this is silly, and if you're a coffee drinker, please don't be offended, but it's like the coffee drinker that can't function in the morning without coffee. And, and I've had people say, don't talk to me till I've had coffee. It's just coffee. I didn't, but I mean, I guess it's some pretty potent stuff that, I mean, literally people cannot function without a cup of coffee. Now me, I can have coffee in the morning, not have coffee in the morning. But boy, if, you're, if coffee engulfs you that much, that's a sin problem. That's no different than an alcoholic. You say, well, yeah, but it's, it's not the same because alcohol causes greater damage and stuff. 
yeah, maybe it does in a moral sense, but, you know, if you're going to be a jerk and have a bad attitude till you get your first cup of coffee, sorry to burst your bubble. Sin is, that's what I'm saying. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter. It seeks to get you to serve it. In other words, I have to do what it wants. It, and, and that's the problem with a lot of sins. It makes you want to serve it. Just give into it. It's like the sins of the mind. You ever thought about the sins of your mind? How you just contemplate those things and all you do is think about them? And you can't get that stuff out of your mind? Things that, of worry and things of pride or things of envy. All those are sins that nobody even sees, and yet you serve those sins because you think about it. Do you know why there's such problems within our Baptist churches? Because we get people that are bitter against each other, and all they think about is what so-and-so did to them, and it controls them so that they can never get forgiveness and they can never move forward, and our churches are destroyed because we let sin control us. Because we aren't willing to just put it down and quit yielding to it. See? It's, it's, it's complex, but the fact is it's simple in that sense. Sin convinces the, us that we are subject to no one and that we can do as we wish, and it never considers the consequence of its actions. Isn't that how it is? Sin always tells I can do what I want. How many times have you heard that? If you raise kids and they get to a certain age, well, I can do what I want. It's my money. It's my car. They think they can, kids think they can do what they want. Spouses think they can do what they want. Doesn't matter. Employees think they can do what they want. People think they can do what they want and they don't think there's consequences. Well, how are you ever going to overcome sin if you don't begin to look at things the way God does? And God warns us the wages of sin is death. There is a price to be paid if we continue to just follow those things and do those things that are wrong. We'll never overcome sin if we don't look at it the way God does. Last of all, real quickly, uh, back over to Genesis 4-7. We need to understand if we're going to overcome sin that it is our responsibility to not give in to temptation. It's your responsibility. It's no one else's. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3. When, when uh, you know, Adam blames Eve, or inadvertently blames God, the woman that thou gavest to me, and then Eve says, well, the serpent, no, you yield to temptation, Eve. You listen to the serpent, you ate the fruit. Adam, you listen to your wife, you ate the fruit. Satan, you rebelled against God, you chose to do that. It's all about accepting responsibility. If you want to overcome sin, and this is, again, just very simple, you need to rule over it. You need to put it down. You need to choose not to do what's being presented. The temptation isn't the sin, friend. It's the yielding to it. But for some reason, we are worried about taking responsibility. And that is one of the big steps of overcoming sin is don't give in to it. When the temptation is presented, just say no. I remember as a kid, grow, I was a teenager, when they started the Just Say No uh, campaign, you know, against drugs, one of the biggest failures in, in modern history for money and all that. I mean, there's more drug addicts and everything today than there was back when they started the Just Say No pro program. But it is pretty simple. Just say no. Don't give in to it. We're warned of the power of sin. You look at the scripture, you're warned right off the bat of, of the power of sin. 
where Adam and Eve were warned, the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. They ate, they chose to, to do what God told them not to do. They don't think they'll be the one that, here, here's what everybody thinks. Everyone thinks when it comes to sin, they'll be the one that can quit when they want. They'll be the one that can have their cake and eat it too. It never comes with that. Every sin always comes with a price, every sin. And it doesn't matter if it's a sin that you commit or a sin of the mind. Uh, like I said, our churches are full of, of people that are just bitter and unforgiving and have grudges. And they thought, oh, I would never be that way. They thought they could just, well, I, well you know what, I can, I can think this way and I can, I'll get over it. But then they keep thinking that way and keep letting bitterness get stronger. And, and again, you know what happens. We must never let our guard down when it comes to sin. If you're going to overcome sin, you can never let your guard down. You have to rule over the temptation. You have to resist, the, you have to resist it. You cannot yield. And it's easier said than done. If you don't try it, you don't have to worry. That's one of the biggest things. If you don't start getting with the wrong attitude, you won't have to fight it. If you don't taste it, you won't know what it's like. You don't have to worry about it. Sins overcome when we learn that listening to the Lord is the most important thing. Let's close with Romans 7. If you want to overcome sin, the best thing you can do is just listen to what the Lord says. Preacher gets up and he preaches about things. The things he preaches about is to warn you and to keep you from getting involved in things. You don't have to, I remember going in the prison and jail years ago and telling them, listen, I don't have to do these things to know that they're no good for you. I don't have to be a drunk to know that these things are going to cause problems. I don't have to do drugs. I don't have to be able to relate with you. I just know the Bible says not to do something that I need to take note to it. Romans 7, verse 22. Close with this verse because this is, this is what we need. He says, for I delight, Romans 7, 22, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He says, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing into captivity the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Well, revert back to verse 22. I delight in the law of God. You get victory over it by listening to the Lord. And that's the importance of thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You just keep putting that book in you and keep focusing on that book and listening to the Lord, and that's how we overcome temptation, how we get victory over sin. It cannot be done through a 12-step program. It can't be done on our own. It's only done by God's power. And here's the thing. If you fail, which you will, then just try again. And you keep trying. And you know what? Sooner or later, you keep fighting that sin, and you keep trying to overcome it. The Lord will give you victory over it. But the bad news is there's always another one that comes behind it. I've learned at 53 years old that there, once you get rid of one sin, there's always another. And some sins you might fight for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. There was a sin I fought and just prayed for the Lord to give me victory over it. For like 30 years, I fought that thing and just prayed the Lord give me victory. And finally, that victory came. But that doesn't mean that there's not another sin that comes along. So you just have to keep fighting and keep trying. All right, let's pray, and we'll dismiss Sunday school. Lord, thank you for your book and for the hope that the Scripture gives us. Help us, Lord, to be able to fight sin and to overcome it, Lord, to be able to yield our members 
over to you, Lord, casting down the thoughts and imaginations of our heart, Lord, so that they don't get uh, rule over us, Lord. Help us cast down those strongholds and give uh, you the honor and glory in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.